Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, Chapter 2 of our uh, Summer College podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fitt. Chapter 1 is Lost to the Ages, thanks to John, and uh, that would be me. Have you heard that before, listeners? Have you heard that before? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have, but we'll get it right on this one. It is recording, and uh, look forward to taking your questions and uh, answering your questions and talking summer college baseball. Aaron, it's one of our funnest, uh, for me, one of our funner podcasts of the year, because the Summer College uh, Podcast is really, it's a forward-looking podcast, looking forward to the 2012 draft uh, with using the Summer College Leagues um, as that jumping-off point, but also not just to the draft, but also looking forward to the 2012 college season, because really... Uh, this lets us know a lot about the development of players uh, for the next season. Uh, we don't just focus on guys who signed, uh, summer follows. All of those guys are certainly covered. Uh, it really seems like it's a good jumping off point for getting into fall ball and then the next, uh, the next college season. Yeah, and you know, it's like a, a little nugget that I put in the press release we sent out to sports information directors. Uh, these lists do tend to you know, have a little bit of an indicator on you know, who's got talent. I mean, looking ahead to the next year, you look back to just last year, the team that had the most players on our summer league lists, uh, and, and we ranked 245 prospects or whatever it was, uh, but the team that had the most players was Vanderbilt, and, you know, eight guys on these lists, and they followed up by reaching College World Series for the first time, and you had Connecticut that had six guys that was way up there, uh, and they had their best season ever, you know, and, and a few years ago, we had Texas and LSU uh, led all teams, and, and they they followed up the next spring by playing for the national championship, so uh, this this is, uh, these lists are certainly good when it comes to trying to get a feel for the next draft and future drafts, because there's some freshmen on these lists and some sophomores, uh, but it's also so good for just looking ahead for the next spring. And uh, for us, it starts really uh, you know, closer to home. Obviously, you weren't able to see them this year because you're in SoCal, but we have USA Baseball in our backyard, and that, that's really where it starts for us. But then you went to California Collegiate League. I went to a Coastal Plain League game this summer, the All-Star game. Um, and then you also uh, went to the Cape, Aaron, for, what, a week? Yeah. So, so we've got a lot of hands-on experience. But then I guess let's, we didn't even talk about this in the first time with the podcast, but let's talk about the process of how we do this because um, this is different from the way we do all of our, our pro top 20s and that and, and league top 20s, that kind of stuff, and that it's a little less phone call intensive and more uh, we really rely a lot more on the uh, managers and coaches to help guide us, but we still follow up with a lot of phone calls. It's a pretty labor-intensive deal. Yeah, it is, and you know – we, we certainly make use of a large fleet of, of current and former BA interns, and we're fortunate that we've had a, a really good group of interns uh, uh, over the last several years. And you know, several of our alumni have uh, been eager to come back and help with this project. And uh, you know, I, I think that the, it, it leads to a pretty good quality uh, product. If you look across our lists, uh, we've had people work hard on these, you know, and they've made a lot of calls, and uh, they've got a lot of tools, information in there, and. Uh, um, you know, it, that, that's how the process works. It's a, really a team effort. Um, you know, you and I each do a couple of leagues, and then we have our interns get after it, and uh, we, we edit it all together. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of talking to coaches on the phone and talking to scouts. And, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's like anything else, really, in that respect. We do try to make sure we, uh, you know, we, we gather as much information as we can. I think one of the things I like the most about it is that uh, because we have so many people helping and pitching on this, that you and I get to really edit all these lists pretty hard and go through. And uh, we don't just take what the leagues give us. 
You know, we right, right. they give us a lot of information. The coaches give us a lot of information, but we really uh, use that as a jumping off point, which is one of the reasons I like it. Uh, why, why I like it a lot. Aaron, let's start off with Team USA in the Cape. A lot of repeat offenders to drop in a raising Arizona reference, which I'll do anytime I have a chance about uh, because the Team USA stopped in early July, basically, and uh, and some of those repeat offenders. So Mark Appel led the Team USA list. He did not qualify in the Cape, but Mark Appel going into the 2012 season as the top college pitcher for 2012. What does that mean? The past year's top college pitcher has meant Garrett Cole, Strasburg, Price, some future aces. Yeah. Is Appel in that category? He might be. You know, to me, uh, the guy that that he reminds me of, and I like the the comparison that Rob Walton made in in, in Jim Callis' Team USA write-ups. Um, he compared him to Justin Verlander, and, and you know that's the kind of guy that that he can be. I mean, we're not saying that he is Justin Verlander. I'm not saying that he's going to be the best pitcher in baseball and an MVP candidate necessarily. Uh, but you know that's his upside, and and the reason the comparison I think works also is because Verlander was basically a 500 pitcher in college, and you know he's he was seven and six, seven and six, seven and six, wasn't he? Three years in a row. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and Appel is a, is a 500 pitcher right now in his college career. And, and I even had a coach recently ask me, you know, what, what's the big deal with Appel? You know, he's a 500 pitcher. What's so special about him? And you have to look at what kind of stuff he's got. And it's a premium fastball. I mean, it's so easy. And it's 98, 99. Uh, and it's a really good, sharp, hard breaking ball. And he's got a pretty good feel for a change up. And, I mean, you know, look at just looking at other guys in the Pac 10, I think maybe a, um, a lower ceiling for Appel, but another guy that would maybe fit would be Brandon Morrow. I mean, that's a guy who didn't have a lot of college success, but even if Appel is Brandon Morrow, who also had huge stuff and a, and a big, lanky, projectable frame, even if Appel is Brandon Morrow, he's still a big leaguer with, with occasional flashes of brilliance. Yeah, that's a good... I, I like the Morrow comp myself because uh, Verlander is almost too good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I really like that Brandon Morrow comp because I think uh, we've seen his peak. He had a 17 strikeout, one or two hitter in the big leagues. Uh, in 2010, when he's on, he's as good as any pitcher in baseball. Uh, but he's not always on, and that's really been uh, Mark Appel. So Mark Appel gets the other. The other, I think, uh, you know, the guy's the number one prospect in the Cape and was number two in our USA list. Is something that's unique in that we have a true a college shortstop who is projected to be a true big league shortstop in Devin Marrero. And I think Devin Marrero is. Well, I mean, how many big league shortstops played shortstop in college? Mm-hmm. Not that many. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, Jed Lowry's sort of an everyday shortstop, but not really Tulewitzki. in the second half. Tulowitzki's again another guy. I don't want to comp anybody too, but he's certainly he's he's the he's what you're looking for. College shortstop who becomes big league shortstop. Can Devin Marrero be a big league shortstop, Aaron? And does he have the bat to be a big league regular? Yeah, I think he does. I really do. I mean, I think this guy's a pretty special player. I think he's a, you know, he's legitimate, uh, you know, five tool guy. And some of those tools are just average, um, you know, or maybe even fringe average. But I think they're all pretty much average or better, um, you know. And, and he's got a chance to be a plus defender. He's really an instinctive player at shortstop. He's smooth. He's got great actions. He's got a strong arm. Um, and you know he's he's one of those guys who's got great makeup, so all the tools play up a little bit. Uh, he's like a he's almost like a tooled up Christian Cologne in that respect. I mean, I think he's um, you know like like Cologne, he's, he really knows how to play the game. He's got a great feel for the game, a great rhythm for the game. Um, but but I think his tools are just a little bit louder. Most people thought Cologne was going to have to move to second base. Uh, most scouts think Marrero's got a real chance to stick at shortstop. I love that 
uh, comparison. This wasn't a great year for Christian Cologne and Pro Ball, but a toolsier Christian Cologne is a really that's an exciting player. That's a that's a guy I can get behind. I, I like the way you uh, phrase that. That makes a lot of sense for me. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fit. Aaron, this is the first time you've done the Cape League Top 30. Uh, I think one of the basic questions, uh, you know, they always want scouts always want to always want to tell us, oh, it's a good year, it's a bad year, blah blah blah. I don't know. How did you feel about it? Uh, stronger than usual Cape class, average Cape year. What was the general f- feeling about? how the, the talent in the Cape shaped up and the college class going forward for 2012. You know, I talked to some coaches and scouts who thought it was down, and, and you hear that, I feel like, every year. Um, and, and, and I've talked to some who thought, you know, it really wasn't that bad, and, and some who thought this, this group of Cape players actually had more raw power than they're, they're used to seeing out of a Cape class. Uh, certainly when you're talking about the Adam Brett Walkers and the Austin Wilsons of the world, you know, those guys have huge power that as yet – um, you know, somewhat untapped, at least in summer ball, because, uh, you know, contact is an issue for those guys. But but we're talking 70 or 80 raw power. And, and uh, you know, that's a loud tool. And, and the same for, for Victor Roach, obviously, who had a much better summer than those guys and placed higher on the list from Georgia Southern. I mean, um, you know, he, he's a guy that I think is a little bit more muscle bound than those other guys. Uh, maybe not quite as as is easy power, but he really is strong. And, you know, and I think he's, at this point he's got a little better approach as well, although he struggled in the second half. Uh, but then you even look at guys like Chris Bryant and Richie Schaefer in the league. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys who were talking above average or better power in this league. So uh, I think that part of it stood out. And I think the, uh, the quality of, of the arms, the bullpen arms in particular stood out. There were some, some good arms uh, that started. I mean, I like Chris Beck. I think that's kind of a breakout guy from this class for Georgia Southern, a guy that, uh, is physical and I think has a, the makings of, of three uh, plus pitches. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not saying he's definitely going to have three plus pitches, but he's got the makings. If he can harness it all, put it all together, uh, um, that's a pretty nice package. But in general, I think coaches thought that uh, starting pitching was a little bit down in the league, but there were a lot of good arms and working in bullpens. You know, one of the other things that jumps out on this, Aaron, is that you just mentioned Victor Roach and Chris Beck. So we have Chris Beck, the top, we rank as the top pitcher in the Cape Cod League again because Mark Capel did not have enough innings to qualify. Uh, you have Victor Roach, one of the top position players we rank in the Cape Cod League. There are a lot of other players who are from non-traditional destinations who are going to go pretty high in the draft. Beck and, and Roach with Georgia Southern. You mentioned Adam Brett Walker at uh, Jacksonville. His teammate, Dan Branson didn't make the top 30, but he's a top five rounds pick. Uh, you got Travis Jankowski at 10 out of Stony Brook. You got yeah. Kyle Zimmer at San Francisco at eight, uh, one of the top, again, starting pitchers in this draft, in this draft class. Uh, is there a trend here, just the way things went uh, with the Cape and that some of the top players who were there all year were at non-traditional, non-BCS schools? You know, that's an interesting point to bring up, John. I hadn't really thought about that, but I have wondered – uh, for a while now, if we were eventually going to see a little bit more spreading around of the talent because of the scholarship changes that they made a few years ago and right. some of the roster size things. I mean, you're, you're capping your rosters now. So I think that, you know, instead of going and being the 50th man at Mississippi State, you might have a, a player uh, go to Stony Brook and develop, you know, and, and maybe he develops into a star player. Um, uh, you know, maybe there's something to that. I, I haven't really looked into this enough to 
to know if that's uh, the reason we're seeing this. I'd like to go back and compare some of these, uh, you know, look at some of these drafts, see how what percentage of players came out of the major programs, what percentage came out of more of the mid-major programs. And that's an that's a interesting, uh, interesting study, I think, to conduct. But I wouldn't be surprised if you're starting to see the effects of, of some of those, uh, those reforms that were made. I think that's I think that's possible. I, I I didn't even think that when I asked the question. I do think that's possible. I think to me it isn't like summer college baseball. One of the other issues here um, is that teams a lot of guys are staying home uh, and not playing as much in the summer. We saw that with Kenny DeKroger. Um, you know, a lot of the play, especially with College World Series going later. Just you know, in the last ten years, the College World Series. You know, I, I think I've told the story before, but in the last year of the 48 team tournament, the College World Series started on May 28th or 29th. Can you imagine being in Omaha <laughs> at the end of May? Wow. Um, and leaving the last day of the championship game in 1998 was on June 6th. Wow. I mean, June 6th. That's, and that's crazy. I'm not that old. Today, as we record this, by the way, is my 15 year anniversary of Baseball America. Holy but, cow. Uh, I, I, so I am old. Congratulations! I, thank you, but I'm not that old. So that's the things. That's how. That's how much the schedule has changed. So 15 years ago, when I first really started doing this, you know, 19 summer of '98, I was interviewing Bobby Kilty in the Cape when I had a breakout summer on the Cape and got like $450,000 from the Twins. Um, but we're talking about a Cape schedule that started with everybody there. Even if you went mm. to Omaha, you really didn't miss any Cape. Uh, but now, if you go to Omaha. You know, you're Mike Zanino, who's number three on our college, uh, on our overall top 50 prospect list, which is live today on BaseballAmerica.com for subscribers. Um, our top 50 p- p- players for the draft for 2012. Mike Zanino didn't play. All the South Carolina guys didn't play. Um, Zanino, Zanino did play a little bit in the Cape. Oh, he did play uh, a just, little bit. Just not enough, enough to qualify, right. But he was worn down. Um, right. The season... For players in the South, it starts later with games, but you're still starting pretty early with practice. Uh, I know we're talking. I know it's not a game, not a game, but <laughs> practice. But that's a long year. It's a longer year than it used to be. The compressed schedule, I think, makes it more difficult for players. Um, so I think that the, I think that's one thing that affects the Cape is that your top players off of top teams take the summer off more often than they used to. I also think the Cape uh, doesn't get necessarily maybe as much depth from as many, as many freshmen maybe as maybe it used to from other leagues, uh, from, from top players. Top, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing this. Top freshmen at maybe a lot of your BCS schools don't always go to the Cape. They might right. go maybe to the Northwoods League or whatever league is closer to them where they're guaranteed more playing time because there's so many more leagues. Um, there is such a dilution, I think, of summer college baseball. I mean, that affects the Cape to a certain extent. And Cape rosters, they want to win, Aaron, as you've probably found out more this year than you knew. They want to win, so they want guys who are going to be there from day one to help them yeah. win. I, that's, I think those are all contributing factors. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and also, you know, if you look at the, the rosters in the Cape this year, uh, I mean, I, I think that Katuit and, and Chatham were two of the more talented teams in the league, and they were also two of the worst teams in the league. Right. Um, you know, and the teams that, that finished near the top and that I heard a lot of praise from coaches about were, you know, Hyannis and uh, Harwich and, and these teams that were really, um, you know, composed of, of 
winning ball players that weren't necessarily the biggest prospects. I mean, they're guys who worked hard and worked well together, and, you know, it still comes down to teamwork. And ultimately, you know, I think that uh, these coaches want to win. They really do. I mean, you know, as much as they want to develop talent and have pro prospects come through, and that's a feather in their cap, uh, if you had a chance to have a, a first-round pick who hit 200 and struck out 60 times, or if you had a chance to have a guy who's, you know, maybe a 15th-round pick but really performed for you, and, and you know, they're going to take the guy who's going to perform. Yeah, that's um, so so that's that's another factor. I think that is a big. I think that's a major factor. It's uh, John and Aaron on the Baseball America College podcast. A uh, couple Cape summer, to, uh, couple Cape guys to bear down on them. Let's go about some of the other leagues, Aaron. I mean, we want to remind people that our number one prospects is available free at baseballamerica.com. And then if you go to baseballamerica.com, you want to click on college and then scroll down to the summer scene tab on our drop down menu. And then you have the league top prospects link is over there to the right. That's where all of our top league top tens can be found, as well as our summer college archive, which goes back to like 2003, something ridiculous like that. It's it's extensive. Um, but Aaron, uh, Brian Johnson, uh, on, it might be the last player, a specific player we talk about, but he's high on both the Team USA and Cape Cod League lists. I'm trying to think when the last time a guy was as legitimate of a prospect as a hitter and a pitcher when there was as much of a split camp. Because mm. Jim Callis, when he did calls for Team USA, more people he talked to liked Johnson as a hitter. But when you talk to people in the Cape, if push came to shove, guy said pitcher, right? Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, the, the, the scouting directors I talked to uh, hemmed and hawed about it. It wasn't an easy decision. Uh, and and they, a couple of them said that there was a split camp within their own organizations. But uh, but push came to shove and I pushed them all and they all said I guess I'd take him as a pitcher because left-handed pitchers you know physical strike throwing you know three or four pitch left-handed pitchers uh are hard to find and and uh I guess harder to find than a power hitting first baseman yeah and that's the, I think the really the thing for him as a hitter is that he does not run so it doesn't sound like corner outfield right. is a is really a great possibility for him considering um you know that he's got arm strength right and, and I love and I love also the fact that, you know, when people talk about Brian Johnson as a pitcher, they do talk about the fact that he's athletic. He fields his position well. Um, you know, he's got a good move. He's, 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 his delivery is athletic. He's an athletic guy. He's just not fast. So it's a, you know, a lot of times when you think of the best athlete, you think of the, the little speedy burner out there. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to run to be a good athlete. That's a good point. I think that's a good point. Just having speed doesn't even necessarily make you a good athlete. It, uh, right. it might make you explosive, but uh, those two things aren't the same, aren't one and the same. That's an interesting point. Um, let's talk just in, in total about summer college baseball, Aaron, because we have a couple of podcast questions. Um, one of them from Andy McGuffin, who does not – I don't recall ever having had any questions from Andy, so I, I like taking a new one. Um, he wanted to know if we could rank these summer leagues in order of prospects. And uh, that's basically it's a long question, lots of uh, words of praise, many thanks for an excellent ongoing coverage, yada, yada, yada. He says, like, um, you know, it's clear from your coverage that Team USA, Cape Cod, and the Northwoods Leagues are at the top. And it's clear from that because the Cape gets 30, top 30, Team USA, and the Northwoods League get top 20s. But I'm sus- I'm, I suspect I'm not alone amongst BA readers and struggling to get a handle on how to compare prospects in the California, Alaska, and Coastal Plain League, just for examples. Aaron, uh, my sense is uh, you saw California Collegiate League games. I saw the Coastal Plain League this year. I think the Coastal Plain League was a little down this year talking to the, the people I talked to in the league. Um, uh, but they're the number one prospect. Jake Cave is a pretty legit guy, signed for 800 some thousand dollars for the uh, Yankees' second-highest bonus, I believe, or third-highest bonus in the Yankees' draft class. 
Uh, you saw the California Collegiate League, which I think we both think is is up, uh, had a good year. How would you maybe answer Andy's question? Well, I think uh, I think that certainly the Cal Collegiate League is is a league that's on the rise, and it has been last several years. Uh, you know, and, and usually it's a league that has been carried by the Santa Barbara Foresters, and you know, you, you'll put together a prospect list that has maybe s- seven or eight Foresters on it. Right. Uh, which certainly kind of inflates the overall feel for the league. But this year there was a little bit more parity in the league, and this was the first time in something like nine years that a team other than uh, – that a team tied Santa Barbara, I should say, for the league championship, uh, the San Luis Obispo Blues. Um, and, uh, you know, you had a couple of te- guys from Team Vegas on the top ten list. You had a, you know, a guy from Glendale. You had, a, you had several other teams represented. Uh, and, and, you know, on, on the whole, I mean, once again, the talent level was strong. You had your Foresters guys, you know, Austin Kubica, is, I, th- I think, is the first rounder in two years uh, out of Rice. And, uh, you know, they had several other big arms, Stephen Johnson and Mitch Mormon. Uh, they had Michael Rattery. I mean, they had their guys. But you also had uh, uh, a couple of, of rising freshmen or, or I should say graduated seniors uh, who ranked high on this list. Greg Bird, uh, who was going to go to Arkansas, but instead signed with the Yankees for $1.1 million, I believe. Uh, and you had Aaron Brown, who had a, a really a fantastic summer. Um, he's, he ended up turning down the Pirates and going to Pepperdine, and I think he's going to be a, a real star player there. I mean, I think the guy is exciting. He's a he's a really a five tool guy in the outfield, and uh, again, some of the tools are just average, but you know, solid average. I mean, he's he's a good player. So, all in all, very strong year for the Cal Collegiate League. Um, I'll put that kind of in that next group. Um, you know, I think New England Collegiate League had a really good year. Um, you know, and and usually they have they've had some guys near the top of their list in years past. Uh, they've had their Mike Olds, of course, and their Strasburgs. Right. Uh, but uh, this year, you know, you had a couple of catchers near the top: Tom Murphy and Ronnie Freeman, both guys I really like. I think they're both offensive catchers who have a chance to to do it defensively as well. Uh, and there was some power, Conrad Gregor, big power bat, uh, and some nice arms. I mean, I think uh, I think that that league's pretty good as well. I think Conrad Gregor is one of my favorite names in college baseball, too. Conrad Gregor. He just sounds like he should play for Scotland's yes. national team. <laughs> just a great name. I don't think that's a good Scottish accent, but I don't care. It's, it's, it's amusing to me. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you as far as like leagues that were kind of up and down. I definitely think the NECBL was down. I think the, the Alaska League, Aaron, is probably the league that, uh, through ne- not necessarily through any fault of its own, just has uh, diminished in time. The Jayhawk League is kind of in that same boat. These are two of the older summer college leagues. They're not affiliated with the NC- – they're not NCAA – well, I forget what this – they're not certified, so they don't get MLB money. Um, and both those leagues, uh, they're harder to cover. They don't have a central league website, for example. They don't use the point streak uh, website that everybody else in summer college baseball seems to use. I think that's a, an indicator that they're less financed than the other leagues, and it's, it has started to show. They don't maybe have as good of facilities as some of the other leagues, and their talent level over my course of my time at Baseball America has just generally eroded, and I think they have suffered the most from more competition in summer college baseball from other leagues like the Northwoods and Coastal Plain, which I think combined have 31 teams, uh, yeah. which is ridiculous. Uh, Beyond Alaska this year had the, bear, the, 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 uh, the gold panners of Fairbanks. They didn't even play a league schedule, so it's – it's a little sad to see. Thankfully, they did play a midnight sun game. But I think this, the rise of the West Coast League is really – you have the West Coast League and the Cal Collegiate League uh, getting a lot of players that used to go to the Alaska League, uh, frankly. It's a great so, point. It's a uh, great the, point. They used to get uh, – they, they get uh, so the West Coast talent just gets diluted. Um, Aaron, let's pick some personal cheese balls. We didn't do this in the first uh, iteration of the podcast. 
we have to record a shorter podcast today. But uh, who are some of your personal cheese balls? I get the feeling that you really liked Aaron Kibitza. Uh, but Austin who are some Kibitza. Other... Austin Kibitza, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you corrected me. Who are some other guys who really uh, – now Kibitza, we should clarify, he's a 2013. He's not a 2012 draft, correct? That's right. But who are some other guys, either in the leagues that you did or leagues that you edited, were some guys who – Either as a draft prospect or for college for the college 2012 season, you think can really use what they did in the summer to really springboard to some success next year. Well, certainly, it's funny we we're just talking about the Alaska, and I agree with you that the league has generally been in a state of decline here for a while. But I like the number one prospect in that league quite a bit, Aaron Judge at Fresno State. Uh, you know, really big, physical, athletic outfielder uh, who I think is going to hit for some power, and he's got some speed and. Uh, can throw and you know it's really a, an exciting package. I think that's um, one of the more exciting players that that I, I uh, read about this summer in, in our coverage. Yeah, he sounds really good from the from the, the prospect right. I was also pretty impressed with Patrick Wisdom, uh, the third baseman at Kenai, as as at St. Mary's, and it sounds like St. Mary's had a good summer for them. Are they getting Troy Channing back as well next year? I think so, John. I don't think he signed. Yeah, I don't think he did either. That's that's what the Baseball America. Uh, Draft databases for so I'll check on that. But uh, didn't St. Mary's have what three or four guys on our summer college league list? Yeah, Channing actually went undrafted this year, so he would be wasn't back. Even, wow, wasn't even drafted. Okay. Um, but yeah, St. Mary's also had I think three guys on our list. So I mean, usually like we said, that that can be an indicator of of some talent to work with. So I mean, I don't know what kind of depth they've got there, but uh, something we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, for for me, another personal cheese ball. Uh, I, I you know obviously you do, when you're in the leagues that you do, uh, that's a good place to start. And I, I you know, like I said, I, I kind of was bearing down the Coastal Plain League. I didn't think it was a great year in the Coastal Plain League, but one guy I'm going to really be interested in, in following down the line is going to be the Ryan Matthews kid at NC State. Um, yeah, he's had a long, long road to what is going to be his fifth year senior year. Um, but he's a toolsy guy who started off, at, was recruited at Florida, committed to Florida, played a year at Western Carolina, then played at Santa Fe Community College. If he gets playing time as a fifth-year senior, I think he's going to be physical enough uh, to be effective with the BB core bats, Aaron. And I just think this is a guy where NC State could really use an offensive boost. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. They have a, a very young pitching staff led by Carlos Rond- Rodon, local product, who uh, – was very good this week in a scrimmage against the 18-under uh, USA Baseball Junior National Team. Uh, Rodon turned down like $700,000 plus from uh, the Brewers. He might be their Friday starter. Um, but that's a guy who really intrigued me uh, going forward uh, was, was Ryan Matthews because NC State could use uh, some pop. Another guy who kind of just uh, was interesting to me uh, from a draft standpoint He's going to be a personal cheese ball because he's from Idaho and because his name is Zebediah Sneed. Yes. That's the right-hander for the Hayesville Heat in the Jayhawk League. Uh, he goes to Northwest Nazarene in Ohio. Uh, did not perform well this summer. Uh, but, you know, uh, when you, anybody who gets a Nuke Lelouch comp and whose <laughs> name is Zebediah Sneed, that's going to be a guy to watch. Uh, that's that's personal cheese ball like right up, that's down down Main Street for the I love it. cheese ball fandom. I love it. I love it. And speaking of guys that I know you like, uh, we haven't talked about all about the Northwoods League, but I know you, you're very high on Philip Irvin, uh, the outfielder for Samford, who was a freshman All-American for us this year. I am. I do like that guy. Uh, I like that league's top ten. The depth afterward wasn't great, but we did talk the other day. I mean, there's some intriguing guys there with Jonathan Crawford and Sean Dwyer. And then talk a little bit about Sean Cooper, Aaron, because Sean Cooper – 
if we had a summer college player of the year, which we'd have discontinued that award because uh, it's an oxymoron anyway, summer college player of the year, it's really player of the season. So anyway, but uh, Sean Cooper, did he have the best year performance-wise of anybody in summer college baseball? I think he had to. I mean, his numbers are, are mind-boggling. You know, a guy who hits 20 home runs in the North Woods League, uh, you know, sh- broke the, the previous uh, league record. Um, you know, he set records in a bunch of categories, I think. Uh, extra base hits, total bases. He stole 15 bags. I mean, he's, you know, this is a guy who's an undrafted junior at Utah this year. Um, he's not real big. He, you know, he's only five foot ten, so he doesn't profile real well. He's right-handed hitter. Um, which is why he's only number 15 on this list. But when you perform like that, John, you're going to, you're going to open some eyes and, and uh, you know, he could have a monster senior year at Utah and, uh, you know, kind of help uh, step into the, the shoes that, that uh, CJ Crone left. Yeah. And you're talking about a team that's going into the PAC 12 for the first time. Uh, it's got to help to have someone that you can kind of build around. I would, I would imagine that he's a guy you can build around at least at the college level yeah. uh, coming off that kind of summer. Um, yeah. Go and ahead. I liked also I liked a couple of, of players in this list uh, who were rising sophomores at Cal. I thought Cal had a really good recruiting class last year. I think yep. it was a, a top dozen or so recruiting class, and that was with Andrew Knapp. But um, I mean, uh, with uh, Eric Jaffe, excuse right. me, transferred to UCLA. But uh, you know, even without Jaffe, I mean, it was a good group that they brought in, and they've got Louis Lekic on this list, uh, uh, an outfielder who uh, had a, a nice summer. He's an athletic guy, former uh, football wide receiver. I uh, had a pretty good little summer, and, and I think he could be a, a, a breakout player for them this this uh, this spring. And, and Andrew Knapp, ranked number two, really like Andrew Knapp, uh, switch hitting catcher. Uh, I think he's got a, a nice a nice swing. He hit 400 in North Woods League, which is always encouraging. Uh, he's got a patient approach, and uh, you know he's got a chance behind the plate. I mean, he's still a work in progress back there, but um, athletic guy, gl- good bloodlines, uh, exciting talent. Yeah, he is an exciting talent, and uh, that league, uh, like we said, we thought was a, a, a solid year in the Northwoods League. Like you mentioned earlier, a good year in the NECBL. Um, you know, kind of a guy who's a, I don't know if I would put him as a personal cheeseball necessarily, but a guy to watch is Chris Jenkins, the Stanford yeah. right-hander. That kind of brought up another point um, that goes back to the original question that we had from uh, Andy McGuffin on the, the podcast question, podcast at baseballamerica.com is that email address. Um, these leagues' talent levels vary, Aaron, and I think a lot of it depends on kind of who their feeder schools are. And uh, one thing that we've seen is that Rusty Filter likes to feed players to the New England Collegiate League. Uh, he did it with Steven Strasburg when he was at uh, San Diego State, and now we have the Stanford connection going to the NECBL last year with the Kroger, this year with uh, Appel as well last year. And I, I forgot an Appel, that's right, Appel and a Kroger. And now this summer with uh, Chris Jenkins, a New Jersey kid who might have gone back east anyway, but maybe he might have gone to the Cape. Instead, he goes to the NECBL. He probably didn't have the innings underneath him to go to the Cape. Uh, the NECBL probably made more sense from a, uh, a competition level. Um, but it just seems like those connections really like seem to help, especially like I mean, like Rice is a really a pipeline of the Foresters, right? Yeah, certainly, and and Texas as well has sent some players there. Uh, Miami, of course, to the Valley League is is a long-standing tradition. I mean, uh, you know, I remember doing that league one year, and Yonder Alonso was the number one guy. Uh, and 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 out west, you look at the West Coast League now. It's a league that's been pretty strong lately, and and I think the biggest reason for that is because they get a lot of players from Oregon and Oregon State, and those are pro- programs that have recruited a lot of talent. Um, and you know, once again, this year that league had I think six guys. Uh, 
out of either Oregon or Oregon State or had committed to Oregon State. One of them signed, um, you know, and, and, uh, and a couple of young players in that league. That's another thing that we've seen um, some of these leagues do now is bring in rising freshmen. The Cal Collegiate League has done it. A few years ago, we saw Kyle Blair and, and Victor Sanchez do it in the North Woods League right. as they were rising freshmen. Um, they, have, of course, had uh, very different careers there at San Diego. But uh, uh, this year, the Coastal Plain League did it with Jake Cave, and, and West Coast League did it with Jace Fry and Mitchell Walding and, um, and Spencer O'Neill. Yeah, and uh, wasn't uh, who was there? Was there, there was Billy an outfielder, Flamian. Billy Flamian, That's the guy. And then, and even Mitchell Walden, who, Mitchell Walding, who signed, won't be coming to college. But I mean, I, that was a very young league. But I think that makes a lot of sense for a summer college league like that, and it makes a lot of sense for those young players to get that kind of experience against college age players. Aaron, let's wrap up the podcast with the other hot button issue. I'm springing this on you a little bit, but I know you have an opinion on it. But uh, some bad hoo ha this week. That I feel like we have to talk about. Yeah. Um, Nike releasing its schools that are uh, Nike contract schools, schools like Georgia, North Carolina, Miami, that use Nike apparel for all their sports. And they basically have, I don't think they have sports specific contracts uh, for baseball. I think they have entire university contracts. I'm sure there's some schools where Nike has just baseball. Uh, but they freed all those schools from having to use only their bats. They've basically given all those schools freedom of choice for using bats. And I guess this really kind of goes just back to uh, Nike bats. Uh, to me, Aaron, it really goes back to 2008 with Georgia, where you had the video with Gordon Beckham. Uh, I think it was on CSTV the year after our buddy uh, Matt Myers and, and Evan Markham were there. And they had that pile of broken Nike bats with Gordon Beckham. And you had the Georgia school official who was suspended or taken off being the baseball sports formation guy for comments critical of Nike bats. Um, and then, yeah, the, and it just seems like this is part and parcel. This, has, this wasn't new to Nike's BB core bats. But I guess it really does go back to the fact that the change to the BB core bats was so sudden and swift. I think it's logical that not all manufacturers had – I guess where I'm trying to go with this is I don't think – I think the BB Core bats in 2012 are going to be better for, than the 2011s because now the manufacturers have got a little bit better hold on what it means to make a BB Core certified bat. Do you think that's a fair statement and that for all the manufacturers? Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know certainly there were uh, n- several notable instances last year where people were, were – um, speculating that certain bat companies had it right and others didn't. You know, there's a reason that South Carolina switched to Rawlings bats right before the season started, and you know they won the national championship. So I mean, I don't know if those two things are correlated or not. I think South Carolina had a pretty good team, and, and pitching had a lot to do with it. But exactly. Uh, but but you know, I mean, there were teams in Omaha that had that swung Nike bats. I mean, you look at North Carolina. Sure, they didn't hit a lot of home runs, and Texas didn't hit a lot of home runs, and you know, Oregon and Oregon State. Who's Nike bats didn't hit any home runs, but uh, look at the personnel on those teams. I mean, right. you know, none of those teams were physical. I mean, North Carolina lost its most physical player in, in, in Brian Goodwin before the season started, and uh, you know this this wasn't a team with a bunch of Jay Coxes and uh, you know Ellingtons and all these guys that they used to have. Uh, you know, Marshall Hubbard. This, this was a bunch of right. They, they, they changed the way they built their team. You know, it's not just a bunch of big boppers out there now. It's and there it's was your, no there your, was no Chad Flack in the middle of that right, lineup. For example, that's right. It's Tommy Coyle, and it's right. Ben Bunting, and Chaz Frank. It's smaller guys, athletic guys, who aren't home run hitters. And the original uh, story on this was out of the Tuscaloosa paper, and there was not a less physical team 
and the Southeastern Conference than Alabama. When I was right. doing my draft calls, uh, there were scouts and opposing coaches. I had two opposing coaches say to me, this was the first year where we were on the field Alabama, and we felt like we had more talent than them. We were more physical than them. And that, you know, when you're hitting Taylor Dugas, great college player, All-American, I was I stumped for to be an All-American in 2010 with the old bats, but Taylor Dugas is not a college three-hole hitter. He hit three-hole virtually all year for Alabama. They just – and he's 5'7". I mean, right. that's like hitting Jose Altuve three-hole, uh, if I can go with a, a current flame in the big leagues. I, I just don't – so that article, I think, was very useful, uh, but I think it had some serious – flaws in there um you know but i mean if you want to talk about here if he was pointed out maybe hey harold martinez had nine extra base hits with these bats and harold martinez hit 22 home runs the year before with the other bats was that the nike bats or was that just the bb core change there were a lot of hitters who mm-hmm. didn't hit home runs uh in 2011 who hit them in 2010 so i think singling out nike bats uh was uh is interesting but i think it goes back beyond the bb cores um, but I do. I, th- I think it's fascinating. Do you see freedom of choice being something that other players will be able to make, or where are other manufacturers? Is that could this be the start of a trend of players getting to try out other bats? Because that was going to be a positive. Yeah, you know, I think that there's something to that. I think that it could even be a little bit of a recruiting advantage that these Nike schools can tell kids, you can come here and use whatever bat you want. Uh, at least right now. I, mean, I don't know how long this is going to. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, as long as as people are going to have slumps, they're going to look for reasons for their slumps. And a lot of times they're going to blame the bats and they're going to want to switch. I mean, I think that's human nature. I don't don't know how much validity there is to it. You know, maybe there is. I mean, I I do think, like you said, not all equipment is created equal. And certainly it's possible, especially with new standards, that some got it right quicker than others. But I also think there there could be a perception issue here. And, And, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily defend the Nike bats. Uh, but I'm just trying to make sure that we're, we're, we look at it fairly. And, and you know, I think a big reason that there's a perception that Nike bats maybe don't perform as well is, is like you said, it goes back to maybe the, the height of the, uh, the rolled bat era when Nike bats weren't composite barrel. They couldn't be tampered with. You couldn't uh, cheat with Nike bats. And so if you're facing a team that has explosive bats, um, you know, the guys hitting – 450-foot home runs with, with two, you know, pinky fingers dangling off, right. um, you know, it, it, and, and your bats perform normally. It looks like your bats are underperforming, but it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, I mean, Gordon Beckham led the nation in home runs using Nike bats in 2008. So I, I always wondered, you know, uh, about that. It was odd that Georgia seemed like it was almost the epicenter at that time. But it, it did seem like it was right. that, that year anyway. Um, was very strange. And, uh, and how about Rich Poitras? I mean, I think the year even after Beckham yeah. left, he, he continued to hit a bunch of home runs for them. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, what I will say about this subject, my last thought on this is uh, talking to, well, I was around, I've been around a long time, <laughs> I'm reminding people how old I am. But 1998 was the last year of the minus fives. That switch from the minus fives to minus threes was much rougher than this switch. In 1999, Arizona State, you know, that's before a common start date. They played a series with St. Mary's to start the year at January 15th. And uh, the big word that year was indemnification. Teams had to get insurance to play mm. against metal bats, basically, and that because metal bats were being seen as so dangerous. And the Pac-10 got its teams indemnified in time for Arizona State to use metal bats, new minus three bats, for the opener in 1999. But the West Coast Conference did not. 
their teams did not have insurance, basically where if they played in a game where they used metal bats and a St. Mary's player hit a ball and it smacked an Arizona State pitcher in the head and that pitcher was hurt and Arizona State pitcher sued St. Mary's, St. Mary's would not have insurance for that. Mm. It would have been liable. So because of that, St. Mary's used wood bats in the same game. The, wow. re- the regular season opener in 1999, Arizona State used metal. St. Mary's used wood. That happened in a few places around the country <laughs> that year. But I just remember that one because I, I remember you know, walking, be, leaving the office uh, that night or being at home, something like that, and getting a phone call from Pat Murphy and saying, you won't believe what happened today. Uh, we used metal and they used wood. And it was the craziest thing. Um, and we couldn't watch that game on the internet because it was 1998. And we liked right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it was 1999. But uh, in my day... So, yeah, um, so the transfer, people want, are going to complain that it didn't go smoothly this year. It went a lot smoother than it went in 1999, yeah. and uh, I think it'll be smoother this year. I think that that second year, you know, there were no bat problems in 2000. And if you just look at the numbers, you'll see that the composite bats were getting college baseball completely out of control. And I think the BB cores went too far this year, but I think the manufacturers will get better at it. And the last thing I'll also say, Aaron, is that this year for the first time with the advent of BB Corbett's, there's an advertiser for Baseball America, I forget who it is, it might actually be Rawlings, advertising that their bat is the most, uh, what's the word that I always say they don't use? I just, it just left my head. It's not for performance, it's durable. That's the word right. they use. The most durable BB Corbett on the market is what the ad says. And that's the first time I can remember a bad ad not touting performance, touting durability. And to me, that's the whole reason that the colleges use metal bats. Durability, cheaper, and let's face it, they're amateurs. A lot of them need the help. So right. I'm heartened by the changes. I do think it can be smoother, but I think this Nike thing is a symptom of that, that it's just not easy to switch on the fly uh, with your bat technology. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think that's a great way to put it. I think you summed it up very well. Well, let's end it on that note. Uh, I'm sorry that we didn't uh, get – oh, you know, I can't end it on that note. I forgot to answer Joe LaCates' question real quick. Derek Fisher, Aaron, uh, unsigned freshman um, – unsigned uh, high school player going to UVA. Joe wants to know, did he play summer ball this anywhere this summer, and what kind of impact will he have at UVA uh, in 2012? I had to ask, I, answer that podcast question. I don't remember seeing his name on any of the summer ball lists. Uh, but, uh, boy, I think he could have a really big impact. You know, he's, he's an exciting, uh, athletic outfielder. Um, you know, he can really run, he's got power potential, he can throw, um, you know, he's got a chance to be, uh, you know, a freshman All-American, a, a top 10 in the nation, top five, maybe kind of, of, of a player in this class. So, uh, certainly, you know, that's a guy that Virginia can be excited about. Yeah, I think he is, and I think Virginia's going to have a uh, another good team next year. Uh, but we'll talk about that when we do our recruiting podcast, our recruiting class podcast later this fall. Aaron, thank you for the time today, and uh, I'll make sure that this one gets posted correctly. <laughs> Thanks, John. Always a pleasure. All right, for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. So long, everybody.